Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I'm a partner of Manchester Living and the host of the Manchester Living podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There's a lexicon of elder care terms on our website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. I'm excited about today's show. We're talking about the decline, and I often hear um, comments from families and colleagues and friends um, that don't want to be sitting in a chair watching Wheel of Fortune in a brief uh, for the rest of their lives. And um, I'm sure we can all relate. Um, I hope this episode realigns your paradigm to better understand the decline and what aging with dignity really means. And I have two amazing experts in the field today. I'm excited to have you all on the show. Um, First, let's get to the new and noteworthy. Uh, this, um, the title of this new and noteworthy video is called, This is an after, after School Special Like No Other. That doesn't make you cry. Um, all right, let's jump in today. We are talking about the decline with my guests, um, Angela Thomas, care manager and consultant with Caring with Grace, and Karen Jennings, care and support specialist with the Alzheimer's Association of Dallas, the Northeast Texas chapter. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Uh, let's jump in. Angela, walk me through a day in the life of Angela, your credentials and commitments to families. Yes, well, I work as what's called a geriatric care manager or aging life care professional. I am a registered nurse, but people can do the care management work, come from other backgrounds. Uh, I have a master's degree in nursing that I got many, many years ago. And um, about 20 years ago, became a family caregiver. And that led me on my journey to uh, switching careers or incorporating my nursing into doing care management. So I have had a company for 16 years, and um, every day we get calls from families that need help in navigating the aging journey. Uh, some people we help for a long time and some for quite a while. So um, my longest client is from 16 years. Amazing. Karen? So I have a Bachelor of Science in a completely unrelated field. Um, however, I started out about 20 years ago managing medical practices and transitioned about 14 years ago into senior living and managing large memory care communities, um, as well as large senior living uh, communities that had independent living, assisted living, um, and memory care on, on site. Um, since then, I have transitioned about four years ago to work for the uh, Dallas and Northeast Texas chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. I am a care and support specialist that is embedded at the Baylor AT&T Memory Center where I support families um, just learning of a diagnosis all the way through end of life care decisions and every care transition that comes along. So you're really the first stop after diagnosis. I am, yes. Wow. 
bless your heart. <laughs> Seriously. It's an honor. You do, yeah, you do great work. <laughs> so what would you suggest a family do um, after a diagnosis to educate themselves and to communicate with their loved ones, including children? Um, you know, I would really recommend that folks get you know, number one, a solid disease education. To me, you have to understand what is going on with the structure of the brain with their particular disease process in order to understand why your loved one is doing what they're doing. Um, and then I think the next stop immediately is to get some good communication strategies um, because no matter what type of dementia you have, even if that's mild cognitive impairment, there are some communication challenges, and so we need to learn to adjust that um, because, you know, we are now experiencing this change in our relationship. We usually have years of communicating with someone in some way, which means we have deep habits, and now we have to break those deep habits and learn a new way to support them. Um, and then I think the third stop is um, really learning how to manage dementia-related behaviors and learning what redirection techniques are going to work for your loved one. Um, and usually that means figuring out which ones don't work. Um, and so it is definitely a trial and error process, but having good support. Great. Mm -hmm. Angela, do you want to tackle that one as well? Well, I mean, I just echo exactly what Karen has said, that it is a learning process. It's a journey. Uh, nobody comes equipped to deal with dementia unless you're in the field, and uh, but it is it is something that you can learn and you can improve your um, communication skills and your understanding of the disease. I know I learned that initially as a family caregiver, and um, I often said to myself in my head, "This is really hard." And being a nurse, I'm a mom of five children and um, lived in many places around the country and the world. And I would say Alzheimer's is going to undo me, but it didn't. And it totally <laughs> redirected my life. And for that, I am very, very grateful. That's great. I'm going to agree with you. You know, when, you know, you are a, a professional in this field and then you're faced with it, you know, as a caregiver, um, we are completely challenged in different ways. You know, we know everything that we should do, but when you are so familiar with someone, it really does cloud your objectivity at that time. And so you have to kind of step back and kind of say, okay, I'm not a professional in this moment. I'm a loved one. And yes, I have a unique set of skills, but this is my mom. This is my loved one. And I've got to approach that in a very different way. Great. Um, what should families expect when faced with a diagnosis such as dementia or Alzheimer's? Uh, I think a lot of families um, really, um, they, they despair initially. They mm -hmm. think that's it. You know, the person has a diagnosis and life is over. Lights out. It's over. Exactly. But that is far from the truth. Right. And one of the things I try and do to help my families understand is there is so much more to life for you and your loved one. And particularly if you get the right support and help and education, you know, educating yourself using resources that are available and, um, and look on it more as uh, a journey because that's what it'll be. Dementia doesn't kill you the day after the diagnosis. It's right. many, many years. And I think too, sometimes people anticipate the end and that really makes them depressed. But I think it's really important to live in the moment uh, at the same time, planning for the future, but not fearing the future. Great advice. Thank you.
I will say, Angela, you probably, well, both of y'all probably experience this quite often, is that, you know, when someone's receiving a diagnosis, um, usually they have an experience um, with either an older relative or a friend that has a mother or another loved one that um, has experienced dementia. And I find that, don't y'all find that families have a hard time mm -hmm. not attaching that experience to the one they're facing? And so I find it sometimes a really big challenge to reassure them that number one, we have so many more resources available yes. just in the last 10 years to really improve quality of life when facing this diagnosis, but they're really struggling to mm -hmm. let go of that experience of what someone else has told them or what they lived with another relative. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you get people, adult children with aging parents to not personalize it and to not lose their, their patience and, um, and want to control the situation? I think it, it depends on the person, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, for some people, you know, that's where we can bring in, you know, research projects like the U.S. Pointer Study that really talks about healthy lifestyle factors and how that impacts someone with um, a dementia diagnosis in the early to upper moderate stages. Um, you know, some people like, you know, evidence-based research to mm -hmm. really prove this case. Others just need that education and reassurance. Um, some people just need a simple instillment of hope mm -hmm. because they do feel like they get the diagnosis. It's all downhill from this moment forward. Right. And they don't understand that we have a unique opportunity sometimes to actually improve quality of life, to actually regain independence where it's been lost. And so that's where we have to really separate that attachment to that other experience. I tell adult children all the time who roll their eyes and they're ready to pull their hair out, calm down. Mom taught you how to use a spoon. <laughs> and it's like just just like bringing it back down, you yeah. know, that this is it. We had silver linings. We had a resident um, move into one of our care homes who was a chain smoker. And with dementia, she forgot she smoked. Yeah. So silver linings. Yeah. It, yeah. it can't happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I often hear families say, well, dad was given eight months by the doctor. Now what? And it, it really does send me to the moon. What do you think about diagnosis like that and doctors playing God? Well, I'd like to find that doctor and have a, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all, right? a really earnest conversation. I mean, you know, none of us has a crystal ball in this. And, you know, we've all had experience with those patients, you know, that even are on hospice. And it's like, oh, you know, things are not looking good. But then they rally and it's like they keep rallying. And, you know, we've all had that patient that is rallying so much they get discharged from hospice you yeah. know it just happens and so we don't have a formula or a recipe this isn't a linear relationship that so much time passes by and this is where we're at now you know do their comorbidities and other disease processes that they have you know complicate things Absolutely. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of timelines because to me, it's a lot of averages with this disease. Yes, there's mm -hmm. some averages out there, but nobody stuck to those. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Yeah, I, I really agree on that. There is, um, you know, some rec or suggested uh, am amounts of time that a person after certain diagnoses might live, but it's very subjective. 
and it really depends on many, many factors. And so, you know, like I said earlier, it's really learning to live in the moment, learning to live day by day and try not to anticipate the future because nobody really knows the future. Nobody really knows. We were talking before yeah. the show. We have a, a resident who's um, almost 102 mm-hmm. and just graduated from hospice. Yeah. So yeah. it's, the, yeah, this yeah. is um, this is a lot of the unknown. That's right. I have a, a, a client who doesn't understand the term therapeutic lie. And I, it was one of the first terms I learned when I got in the industry. And um, it's rare, but some families don't understand. They've always told mom and dad the truth, and this is it. At what point in this journey do mom or dad stop getting to make decisions and the children or the power of attorney or whoever's the decision maker makes that call? Yeah. How do you, how do you address that with your family? Well, I mean, early on, and I know Karen recommends this very early on, is that the person gets their legal documents in place. That is so critical in the early stages. While the person still has agency when they still know who they wanna name as their medical power of attorney, their financial power of attorney, and other documents along those lines. And so, you know, we would recommend they see an elder law attorney who also can help them if finances may in the future be an issue to prepare for Medicaid. But as to the therapeutic line, I think that, One of the things that has helped me um, to understand and explain to families about dementia is that it's kind of like turning back the clock. And so usually, you know, it's not until the person is functioning. And again, we have to always uh, treat them with the utmost respect and honor that they are due because Mm -hmm. they have been valuable contributors to the world and to their families. Um, But... um, you know, it comes a point if you think in your mind, you know, do you tell an eight-year-old child that dad's taken a new job and is moving, you know, you're going to leave all your friends in four months. Right. That's probably not the best right. thing. Yeah. You know, mom and dad may be talking behind the, the scenes, but, you know, you tell them when it's when it's appropriate. And it's kind of the same way. If someone becomes agitated because you've told them their doctor's appointment is on Friday, but you told them on Monday and then all week, When's the doctor's appointment? When this? Then, then you kind of know. You know what? It's probably better if I don't tell mom until the night before. And even then, they may lie awake all night worried right. about the doctor's appointment. So you have to. It, it takes a little finessing, a little bit of understanding your loved one, and what they um, can tolerate. But then you shouldn't feel bad about not telling them the whole truth. I mean, you know, we don't want to lie to them completely or anything like that. We're not recommending that. But you do have to be wise, and 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 it's it's a learning. You know, you make mistakes, and you learn from your mistakes. And your person, your loved one changes, and you learn to change with them. But it's important to know not to feel guilty about the delivery of the news or the timing of the delivery. That's of the right. News. That's right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. I you know I will say, and Angela probably uses this exact same resource that I use, but um, here in the Dallas area. There is a phenomenal resource for caregivers um, that are struggling with how do I respond to my loved one, especially if they're struggling with that feeling like I'm not telling the truth. Um, And so I highly recommend for families to go to Stomping Ground Comedy. They have an improv for caregivers to to teach caregivers 
improvisation skills with someone with dementia. And to me, I think, you know, if we can maybe flip the script and not, you know, necessarily for those who are struggling with the, the lie or the therapeutic story part of that, but get them to maybe see that this is, this is honing an improv skill that I am reacting to the situation at hand. And, you know, I'm going to have to maybe defy my instincts of what I normally would have done and help my loved one be more comfortable. That's our end goal. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. We'll put that URL up. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It's highly underutilized. <laughs> <clears throat> What's the best way for a family to know when it's time to consider a transition in care, such as senior living or in-home care? Okay. Something you talk yes, about all day, all every day, day so hit it. Well, there's, again, many factors to take into account. Probably the biggest one is finances. Mm -hmm. How much, um, how many, how much financial resources your parent has uh, would be one of the first questions I would ask. However, uh, when it comes to dementia, a lot of times community living, as in senior living communities and assisted livings, can and eventually memory cares can be really, really helpful to the person with dementia because they are um, engaged. There's more scheduled activities. And, um, but then there are people who are adamant, they want to stay at home. And if they can afford in-home care, then the family, you know, should honor their wishes. But a lot of times at some point, usually at about the 12 hour time frame of daily care, it becomes more cost effective to move into an assisted living. But, um, you know, each situation is a little different. So it's you're not saying everybody needs to move to assisted living. And I actually, as a person, you know, a story recently, I had two ladies, one who resisted, resisted moving. We talked to her for a year and a half. She was in her home. Her son lived 20 miles away, but we wanted to move her closer to the son. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to leave my home. Anyway, but through, through a series of circumstances, she agreed to take a one month trial in an assisted living. Then I had another lady, they went in the same week and one, the lady who resisted, resisted, just loves it. She is thriving. She's engaged in every activity. She's the first one down to exercise in the morning. And, you know, I'm selling my house. Oh I'm my so goodness. happy. So she had been alone for these three years that we had been, you know, trying to assist her. And then the other lady after three weeks was just adamant she wanted to go home. So, of course, we said, okay, because she could. Financially, she mm -hmm. could afford that. But we really thought, you know, she's at home alone a lot. I mean, she has some care now in the home. But anyway, it just goes to show you, sometimes you can't be sure which way somebody's going to go. Yeah. And um, so, Great and I also you. like to tell people, you know, if, if you think you should go in a certain direction, you always tell your parent, let's try it. You know, you don't move them into the assisted living and sell the house the next day because around here right now in the market, no, you could gone. put it on the house, <laughs> the, the house on the market and it could sell the next day. Yeah. So give them a month or two to make sure it's a good fit before you say, okay, now we're going to sell the house. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, I'm sure we all hear the same thing. My loved one is sitting on the couch watching TV all day. I don't want to keep them mentally and physically active. What do I do? How do you address that with adult children? Yes. Well, there are lots of um, day programs that people can use that are some are daily and some are weekly and some are monthly. The ones that are weekly and monthly are usually um, in uh, houses of worship or, you know, faith communities that have this service for their loved ones. And, um, and then there are daily programs that you can pay. Usually those are free, the church-based ones. Um, but uh, you can you can pay to um, 
Send Your Loved One for a Day program, which is absolutely fantastic. It keeps them busy, engaged, um, you know, and especially if you have working children who can't really be there for their parent, it's also very cost effective. And so it's, it's a great service that's available out there. That's great. My mom's actually online doing online puzzles and Wordle or whatever, mm -hmm. just to keep her mind active. So yeah. um, at all yeah. stages, and she doesn't have dementia. Yeah. Mind well, and that <laughs> we and know she doesn't. Doing that. That's right. right. And, and uh, yeah, and with the pandemic, there's a lot more available online. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. Karen. I think, um, you know, absolutely. I am right there with Angela on the adult day and the caregiver day out programs. There's a great hybrid. I've got some families that are actually utilizing both services mm -hmm. um, to kind of really extend, uh, you know, time at home and increase that independence. But, you know, if maybe that's not an option for a family, I think the biggest thing that you could do is, um, you know, in general, as humans, we're kind of task oriented. So develop a schedule, write it down to say, hey, we're going to agree to get up at this time. We're going to follow this routine. We're going to have meals at these specific times and then fill that downtime with activity. Um, get your exercise out first in the morning mm -hmm. so that we can stimulate that brain. Um, but I think a lot of times families are just, they they kind of forget that. They're so weighed down by caregiving that they forget that basic tenet of, you know, if I'm going to go to work, I've got to get up at a certain time and be somewhere and do these things before I come home. And the same principle applies when we're providing care at home too. Stick to a schedule and kind of really have a good plan. Because if you don't have a good plan, the day gets away from you. Right. Yeah. And you end up staring at the wall. You end up watching TV. Or, right. You <laughs> yeah. end up watching TV. And I would add to that that the person with dementia, especially as time goes on, has more difficulty planning things. And so if a family member is caring for them or even the, the you know, the paid caregiver is in the home, that you kind of have to help be their brain for them. So exactly what Karen's saying is creating a schedule because the person, you know, isn't able to anticipate or think ahead as well as they used to. Of course, in the early stages, they can still do that. But as, as the disease progresses, whichever form of dementia they have, and that's one thing I'd like to point out, is really, really important to get a good diagnosis because there are several types of dementia and you wanna be sure you're going down the right path and not um, just assuming that it's always Alzheimer's because right. it isn't always Alzheimer's. You said something a second ago that made me think about, sometimes I'll use the comparison, children and aging adults. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, a pejorative connotation in our industry to compare the toddlers to the yeah. adults, which somewhat, it, it's hard not to when, Children need structure and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And later in life, when you have dementia or Alzheimer's or aging, you need structure as well. Yes. So it's some of the, it's kind of the same yeah. thought process. It's, it is very similar. What it's worth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how can caregivers, including families, manage the, uh, the grief of the diagnosis in the process? And I say the grief, it's really to just digest and understand, but it is a grieving yes. um, process because there is a loss. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's going to be just as unique to that caregiver. Some people respond extremely well to a caregiver support group. Mm -hmm. Others feel like they go in there and I'm just listening to other people's problems and I don't need any more problems in my life. So that's not a good fit for them. Some people really find value in, you know, a counselor that specializes their practice in managing difficult diagnoses. And so that may be a route for them. Others may, again, lean into the education piece and say, okay, I'm a very analytical, strategic person. 
I have a problem. I need to know exactly what I need to do with this specific problem. Let's say, you know, sundowning. I need to know exactly how to do this, but I've never dealt with it before and this isn't in my wheelhouse. How do I get that education? And so, you know, I think it's going to be, again, unique to other people. Um, sometimes that's just, you know, finding um, people in an online forum, like through mm-hmm. ALZ.org. There's some great, um, you know, communities there online. Um, sometimes that's just a friend or a clergy mm-hmm. member. It's going to be different. You know, people respond to different things. And I'm sure, Angela, you've, you've probably got some great ideas, too. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. Everything, again, echoing what Karen said, um, the, the Alzheimer's Association support groups, That's how I got into care management, actually, was going to a support group in the assisted living where my aunt had moved, and this was two years after she moved. And I went up to the woman that was leading the group, and I was like, now, what exactly do you do? And she explained to me that she was a care manager. We started to meet. One thing led to another. And um, so the support groups, you know, can be very, very helpful. But I think there's other, excuse me, avenues such as a counselor and and also friends and don't hesitate or your faith community if you have one but definitely do not be isolated as a caregiver in your uh, journey in processing the grief and in dealing with your loved one because you do need a community around you do not go at it alone <clears throat> no with anything especially yeah, this. But yeah especially this thank it's, you for sharing that story by the way it's always interesting for me to hear about how other people <laughs> got into this industry yeah caring with grace yeah um how do you convince let's talk about the patient how do you convince a patient to accept the diagnosis mm. you can't <laughs> <laughs> good I answer love looking, that's right, right. <laughs> i mean what <clears throat> The thing is, is, I mean, there are some patients that are accepting of their diagnosis Mm -hmm. and and that's wonderful. But, you know, I I tell families when they come into my office, you know, if if someone were to walk in and look at the paint color on my wall, and even though it's a very vivid blue, if they say that's red, I'm not going to convince them otherwise. Mm -hmm. So unless we're going to be calling 911 for something, unless we're putting our life or someone else's life in danger, unless we're going to be in financial ruin, stop trying to force someone to believe whatever you're telling them um, because it's not going to change how they think. It's no different than trying to convince someone, you know, who's a Democrat to become a Republican. You're probably not going to succeed at that. Nope. So not only are we finding that you're frustrating the person with the diagnosis, but now you as a caregiver are frustrated. But the beauty is they forget and you don't. So right. now you're all stirred up. So that's not the hill we want to die on. Usually I'd say, you know, this is where you choose your battles and and let them be. Let them be comfortable. If yeah. they're happy or thinking I don't have anything wrong with me and I'm fine. Let's just lean into that right now. Right. Yeah. I'd say my experience is it kind of goes about 50-50, you know, <laughs> in terms of people who do have a diagnosis of those who can understand it. So yesterday I met with a family and this woman, delightful woman, walked into the kitchen and said, oh, well, you know, I got a diagnosis of Alzheimer's a year ago. And I was like, well, yeah, I did hear that. Now let's sit down and talk, you know. So she was very accepting, very clear, as she's still in the early stage. And then Aunt Grace, she had cared for her mother for eight years with Alzheimer's. And she knew that word. And so we really never pressed that. I mean, the doctor did tell her one day, you know, one day, yes, you have Alzheimer's. After that, we would just say, you have a memory problem. Let's see what we can do to help your memory problem. Let's take this medication. Let's go here. Let's do this. 
And um, so we just kept it kind of on a little bit lighter side, you yeah. know, and she accepted that, that she had memory problems. And then there are people who are adamant there is nothing wrong with them. And just like Karen said, you cannot convince them otherwise. So don't try. Just try and work work around it. And, and usually at some point they'll start to, you know, have some awareness that there is a problem, but you right. don't need to convince them. You know there's a problem, that's good enough. That's great. I have a client who, um, she's really funny about it. She knows she has <clears> dementia <throat> and she knows her memory's fading. And I was with her recently and she said, Brian, does it bother you that I ask you the same questions over and over again? Oh, I love and it. And I said, no, because it doesn't bother you that I give you different answers every time. And we <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed and we talk about the same things over and over again. And we just have a really good time about it. Yeah, so, that's great. Um, it's I a, like it's a great disposition. Yeah. Um, I had an experience recently where um, a client who we're with, who Cambridge Caregivers, we have the same caregiver at his house every day. Well, one day he woke up and didn't know who it was and he called 911 on the client. What do you do with a family who does not want the caregiver in the house? Oh, you mean you mean the person with dementia uh -huh. and all? Uh, well, you kind of keep trying in hopes that you get a good fit. But, um, you know, I mean, hopefully the family has done all their legal documents, including if needed in the future. This is when they early on in the diagnosis, they might need a guardian. They have named the person that could be the guardian. I mean, sometimes you do have to take more uh, difficult measures. Mm -hmm. And um, if they won't let people into their home and and they're not safe alone any longer, you know, it may be time to either adjust their medicines. That can also be a big help. But if that doesn't work, they may need to, you know, be moved um, into a, a assisted living memory care or even a residential care. More home. supervision. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm sure you both have had this kind of come up where, um, you know, patients just, it's probably the idea of it. You know, we're trying to talk someone into it ahead of time. Um, and so again, I always tell families, do not be scared to ask, you know, if you're working with an agency to ask for a change of mm -hmm. face. I've had, you know, patients in the long-term care setting that, you know, they just don't resonate well with one mm -hmm. caregiver. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard on the caregiver to feel like I'm not being accepted by this person when all these other people, you know, I, I do just fine with them, but there's just something about them and it has nothing to do with whether they're a good or bad person, but don't be scared to change that. So I have had to move caregivers to, you know, maybe a, a different wing within mm -hmm. the facility because they just trigger that, that person for some reason. So, you know, to me, that's the biggest thing is just, you know, be flexible in mm -hmm. this and don't be scared to try to problem solve with whomever you're working with, but also encourage families that, you know, if we're starting to decline, introduce care at home earlier because it's important for your loved one to learn to accept care from others. Um, you know, even if they can't forget, they still, there's a feeling of accepting care with others. And so it's important that they understand that, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Get ahead of the curve instead of, instead of behind. And, um, yeah, I think that's Good. important. Um, what is the best way for a family member to still be a part of their loved one's lives if they live remote? And I know um, mm -hmm. there's tremendous guilt and all these feelings of being apart. But, you know, if you live remotely and your folks live or your loved one lives somewhere that you're not, what's the best way for them to still be a part of that? Yeah. Well, if you're a family that has um, multiple adult children, 
even if you live far away, you can be part of the care team in a way that, you know, possibly um, managing the finances or providing um, fi financial assistance to hire somebody like me to help with their parents on site. So we have a lot of clients whose loved ones don't even live in Dallas, but the parents don't want to move or the mother doesn't want to move. And so, um, you know, we are come alongside them. So there's different ways, um, but in terms of personally connecting with the senior, I think, um, you know, uh, in the beginning, writing letters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can be a good way. Then the person can reread them, uh, make sure, you know, that they're easy to understand. Sometimes you can just uh, type out a letter on your computer and mail that because it'll be easier maybe for them to read. Of course, phone calls are always helpful. And nowadays we've got, you know, video FaceTime, calling yeah. and FaceTiming. But um, I think whatever works with your loved one, I mean, sending flowers. Um, and again, I would encourage family members, if they're able, to come and try and visit at least once a quarter if they live out of town, mm -hmm. just so they stay connected physically and, and uh, eye to eye and give, them, give their parents hugs, you know, and, and because this is not going to last forever. This decline will have an end. And so, you know, to encourage people not to have those guilt feelings like, oh, I wished I had gone to see mom more often. So right now I'm dealing with the family where the daughter has not been down in almost a year. And I've been talking to her about she needs to just come two days, fly in one day, visit, fly home the next evening, you know. No regrets. No regrets. Yeah. No regrets. That's great. Yeah. All right, Karen, what? <laughs> Oh, I'm going to add on to that. I just had a spouse in my office, you know, last week and, um, you know, her perspective was, I don't want to bother my children with what's going on in this. They're busy. They have, you know, families of their own. They're working full time. You know, they don't need to know what's going on at our house. Mm -hmm. And so we just had a really honest conversation. And I said, you know, I'm going to come at you from an adult child's perspective that walked in their shoes. And, you know, I don't like, you know, hearing about just the big traumatic events that happened. And so I had to put it, you know, essentially on my calendar of I'm going to call my parents every day on the way home from work. You know, I had a 45 minute drive, so I had time. And that was my way to kind of, you know, connect. And maybe even if they weren't telling me what was going on, I could hear it in their voice that, you know, maybe today wasn't a good day. But, you know, as children, you know, we need to hear what's going on and you need to give yourself permission to share that even if just today wasn't a great day and I just need to hear you say I love you. If that's all the way that we start that conversation, it's a start um, just to let someone know, hey, maybe I do need to schedule that visit. I do need mm -hmm. to come down and make time for this just to lay eyes on the situation. And as great as FaceTime and all the technology it is, it's there's something about. Uh, in person, the touch, yes. mm -hmm. when adult child holds their loved one's hands, mm -hmm. they recognize that touch. It's different yeah. than a caregiver or staff person. Yeah. So I think it's important. This is strong. Karen, I mean, uh, <laughs> Angela, what haven't I asked you that I should? Well, just in hearing what you were just saying, Brian, that made me think that, you know, the journey can be long. It can be many years, you know, seven, eight, ten years. But all the way to the very end, the essence of that person is still that person. And just what you were saying, you know, don't give up visiting just because your poor mother has to be in a nursing home because they need total care. 
they still know it's you, even if they can't say your name. And it is really important. And I think too, um, you know, for, uh, for myself as a family caregiver, there were people in um, my family that kind of had the, oh, they have dementia, they'll never remember I visited, so they didn't visit. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I realized that I got the blessing, that it was, I mean, more so than the fact that I'm doing this work. It was just like, wow, I walked all the way to the end with her, and it was just so meaningful. So... Wow. It's an it's a life enriching experience. It can be with no the doubt. right right perspective. Right, Karen. What haven't I asked you that I should? I would say, um, you know, if folks are kind of really struggling with, you know, how do I manage if I'm visiting my mom at assisted living and she's saying I want to go home? How do I manage, uh, you know, sundowning behaviors? How do I manage the fact that they don't want to go to doctor visits? You know, there's all these different things, but, you know, it can seem overwhelming of where do I go to for that? Um, I think a highly under, underutilized resource is to go to YouTube and look at Tipa Snow and Dementia Care Blazers, little snippets, they're little five and 15 minute yes. snippets that are topic specific. And it really not only you know presents a topic and gives you a little bit of education of why this is happening, but then they not only demonstrate, but they also do a return demonstration of how do we approach this topic. And I find that families find those very valuable when they are just so stuck on what do mm -hmm. I do? Especially like, you know, last week I had a husband, a spouse was accusing him of cheating and he is just paralyzed with, I'm trying to convince her I'm not cheating. And it's like, that's not going to work. Right. <laughs> it's different much, tactic. much like we're not going to convince her of a diagnosis. We're not going to convince her you're not cheating because in yeah. her mind you are. And so um, I was able to just go and give him three different videos between these different providers online so that he could sit after he left my office, soak it in and watch it and rewatch it and get those techniques. And so I, you know, much like, you know, you can go to YouTube to learn how to, you know, change your headlight on your car. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> don't miss out on, you know, as long as they're a valid source, right. um, don't miss out on what's available to you there. They're great. It's a yeah. great resource. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both for being here and sharing your knowledge. Oh. We're going to move on to the nugget portion of oh. this podcast. Uh -oh. This is this the is lightning a, round. The, not, not yet. This oh. is the nugget portion. Uh -oh. Okay. Uh, this is a visual that uh, somebody actually sent this to me. It says, AG is an extraordinary process where you become the person you always should have been. And I read that by the late David Bowie, of course, and yeah. it was just very powerful. So, yeah. all right, on to the lightning round, oh. where viewers have the opportunity to get to know you guys on a personal basis. One word answers. We're gonna start with Karen and go to Angela. Where were you born and raised? Dickinson, Texas. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. College and degree. Fighting Texas Aggie, class of 1993, industrial engineering. <laughs> University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Oh, wow. Road trip or fly? Fly. Uh, road trip. Still in touch with college friends? Yes. Uh, some. Ever been arrested? No. No. Wow. <laughs> no, I had to think. I was a, <laughs> I was an anti-war demonstrator, but nice. I never got arrested. <laughs> Truth be known. <laughs> call or text? Call. Oh, call. Okay. Uh, are you bilingual? No. No. Oh, wow. Uh, favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Butter recon. Okay. Um, Ikea furniture, self-assemble or outsource? Self-assemble. Yeah, self-assemble. Oh, my goodness. Um, iPhone or Android? iPhone all the way. iPhone. Good girl. Karaoke, yes or no? If 
there's cocktails involved, it could be happening. No. No. All right. <laughs> if you could be a contestant on Survivor, would you go and would you win? No and no. No, no. <laughs> Do you make the bed in the morning when you get up? My husband does. Do My you? husband does. All right. Proudest career accomplishment. Uh, for me, this, I don't know if it's an accomplishment, but, you know, right out of school, I uh, worked at NASA on the space station program. And so that was uh, oh, a lot a of fun. Pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. I think I would say my company, you know, and so uh, never expected it to grow as it has, but I've got a wonderful team. And so it has grown. And it I'm, has grown. And I'm really proud of you. Y'all oh, do great you. work. Thank so, you. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for being here. It is, it's really nice to have industry leaders and thought experts in, in any given field. And you guys just nailed it. So um, we all come back again. You're sure. a two-time guest. I I'm definitely having you again. Okay. Um, we're going to put up a couple of URLs on the screen towards the uh, right now. Um, AZL.org, AgingLifeCare.org, and DementiaSociety.org. Um, or the three um, websites that you guys uh, would like to, to share. And I appreciate you doing that. Um, you can find this podcast and any other episode by searching Manchester Living Podcast on um, wherever you get your social media, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, um, um, wherever. So in closing, if there's ever anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to reach out directly. Thanks for watching today. Mm -hmm.